Good morning and welcome to one of the most unusual church services Chawila Evangelical Free Church has ever had. Now, before we start, I would like to encourage you to look on the church website where you will find several resources during this time that will help with this message, help with your small group, even help with your children's program that you might try to have at home on your own. So, first, if you want to look at the outline and follow along, that would be helpful. It's on the website. Then there are also some discussion questions you can use in your small group or at home in personal meditation. Also, there are, is a sheet for prayer requests. Not only prayer requests within our church body, but some ideas and suggestions for how we can pray into the corona crisis. And then also, you will find if you're in a small group, there are some suggested ideas on how you can have a small group meeting. So please take advantage of those resources. And then there should be some children videos on the church website in which children of different ages, four different ones for four different ages that you can use to help your, your children have some church time that's targeted toward them. So before we begin the message, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you have not left us alone. And Lord, in this unprecedented time in our generation, in the last two or three generations, I pray, God, that you would speak into our hearts. Make us the people you want us to be, who seek you and trust you, who are reaching those around us to give them hope. And Father, we pray that you would glorify yourself through the corona crisis. And now, God, open up our hearts to your word and speak into our spirits so that we might hear you and respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's message is called Opportunities in the Corona Crisis. Today is a new world. We are witnesses to history. We have not experienced anything like this since the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. The Center for Disease Control, the CDC, recommends we stay home. They recommend that we avoid groups of more than 10 people. And they also recommend six feet of social distance between you and another person. They predict this could last even into summer. Now, some have wondered, why should the government tell us we can't have church? Meanwhile, young adults are partying it up in large groups, ignoring the recommendations. You've probably seen those videos on television. So why are we not having church? Well, first, we want to respect government laws to protect public health. And second, we want to be a good witness to our neighbors who would see a church meeting as endangering public health. Third, we can still meet in smaller house church groups. The early church, after only a few decades, could no longer meet safely in the temple courts in a large group like described in Acts chapter 2. So they met house to house. And even later, in some later decades, they hid in caves and catacombs to have church services. And the most amazing thing is that the church still grew exponentially. 
So how can we, as Christians, respond to this crisis internally and externally? I'd like to suggest three responses this morning. If you look on your outline, number one, we have opportunity to reflect on our hearts. People are in a state of panic. Images this week have shown frenzy buying and hoarding, shopping carts overflowing with gallons of milk, cans of soup, a whole cart full of cans of soup, cartons of eggs that look like they were about to fall out of the basket, rolls of toilet paper in a tower that were taller than the person pushing the cart, and as a result, staple items like milk and flour and meat and toilet paper, a precious commodity nowadays, and hand sanitizer, they cannot be found. We are seeing examples of humanity at its worst. You've seen it on the internet, you've seen television shows that have shown all of these things, all of these hoarding actions. But I'm asking this morning, can Christians instead give the world examples of humanity at its best? So how we respond starts on the inside. We have a turmoil of emotions we have never experienced before. We deal with wildly varying reports, chilling speculations, rapidly shifting events, and constant uncertainty. We are exhausted with more bad news each day. We wonder, when will it end? And still, we wait and wait, not knowing how long. So let's start with Psalm 6, verses 2 through 4. If you would read together with me as I read that to you, Psalm 6, verse 2. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. So the first thing that we can do in reflecting on our hearts is to admit our human emotions. We are cycling through stages of grief right now. One of the first stages of grief is shock, that numb feeling. We can't really believe this is happening. And so you wake up in the morning, and I know when, when I've woken several mornings, I, I just think, oh, it was all a bad dream. And then I realize that yesterday's bad dream is today's reality, and I feel numb. So second, after this shock, second stage of grief is we feel anxious. We don't know what the future holds. We fear getting sick and wonder if the hospital will be able to handle it. We worry essentials will be unavailable. We fear losing our job. We fear our savings and retirement will evaporate. And we worry for our loved ones. So we feel anxious and worried. Third, we feel grief. We have experienced loss. We have lost resources. We have lost income. We have lost mobility to move around in our world. We have lost social contact. We're not so free to be with friends and family. And it's normal to grieve what you once had and have lost. So after shock 
and anxious and grief, we feel anger. Perhaps angry at God for allowing this in the first place. Maybe anger at how other people are acting by hoarding or ignoring rules the rest of us have to follow. Some are angry that the government isn't doing more. Others are angry that the media is inflating all of the conflict within the government and how they're not doing enough. And so there's all kinds of anger floating around out there. It's part of the stages of grief. So admit your human emotions. And then second, as we reflect on our heart, letter B, tell God how you feel. When you face a crisis, do not stuff your emotions down and pretend they are not there. They'll just cause turmoil down there and come out sideways. Instead, be honest with God and tell him how you feel. God, I am afraid right now. God, I'm doubting your goodness and power. God, I'm angry because I feel helpless. God already knows how you feel, so lay it in his hands and don't let anger overtake you. That's why we need to be able to tell God what we're angry about. We share it with him. He already knows it, but we put it into his hands. And God is big enough to hold whatever you are feeling. So let me encourage you this morning, lay these losses before God and weep over them because that's how God wired you to be. Lamentations chapter 2, verse 19, that's the small little book right after Jeremiah. It says, Arise, cry out in the night, pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. God invites you to share your emotions. In February of 2011, Karen and I lived in Egypt during the Arab Spring Revolution. Internet and cell phone services were cut off, and all we could watch on TV was protests and violence across the city and across the country. And so eventually we got so tired and numb from that news that we had to turn it off. We stopped watching the news. When the U.S. Embassy gave an evacuation order, the airport was a cauldron of panic and chaos. When food and water ran out as people waited days for an evacuation flight, uh, people took their luggage and then discovered they could only have like 40 pounds to take onto the airplane. And so people just abandoned bags on the jetway. And then there was a curfew from 4 p.m. to 8 a.m. so no one could go to work or school. The police had fled, so at night, all night long, there were vigilante roadblocks set up every few blocks of people protecting their property because there was no police around. Cash machines were empty, bottled water was unavailable, and grocery stores were picked clean. So since no one could work or go to school, there was little to do but be with each other. We met every day at noon at church to pray for one and a half to two hours. We had like 60 or more people that came and prayed. People didn't want to go home at the, that first worship service we had on that first Sunday. When it was ready to be done, they just said, we want to keep singing. We want to stay here. It was a very memorable and wonderful time 
I experienced God like never before. And when I look back at my 10 and a half years in Egypt, that's one of the times I remember most. Even though it was a time of fear, it was a time of wondering where we would get resources and food and water and different things like that. But it was like God met us. And I still remember that feeling like, hey, maybe this is what the early church was like when they just met and prayed because that was all they had. And so this crisis can be a time where God meets us. So what emotions are you experiencing? Numbness? Worry? Sadness, maybe? At things you've lost? Anger? And how are these emotions affecting you? How are they affecting those around you? Are you free to express those feelings to God? The first point is that we have opportunity to reflect on our heart. On your outline, you'll see point number two. We have opportunity also to ponder who God is. How do we keep from being crippled by panic and despair? See, when you feel out of control and desperate, that's the best time to run to God. In our darkest hour, what we need most is to center on God. The secret to surviving a crisis is focusing on the right thing. Are you focusing on circumstances or focusing on your creator? Are you focusing on all the resources you don't have or on all the resources God has? We have to resist a preservation instinct. Your focus determines your level of peace or panic. So let's turn next to Psalm chapter 4, or Psalm 4, starting with verse 4. It says, be angry. And anger here means like agitated. Now, your NIV might have trembling, but it's more of a, a trembling with agitation than a trembling with fear, although maybe that's part of it, too. So verse 4, be angry or agitated and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Verse 5, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Now, maybe you have more discretionary time like you haven't had in years. And this is a great time, a great opportunity to discover who God is. Perhaps your hectic life has left little margin, and one of the areas that has suffered in recent months or recent years has been your spiritual life. So I would encourage you to take the opportunity to reclaim your quiet time with God. How? I'm glad you asked. I'd suggest first, as we ponder who God is, that we meditate on a scripture passage. Scripture is God's love letter to us. One person said it's filled with over 6,000 promises. We discover who God is in Scripture, in his love letter. So let me suggest a way that you approach Scripture. Take a passage, not a real long passage, you know, a paragraph or two. Read it slowly. Read it multiple times. You could even rewrite it or paraphrase it if you like writing and journaling. But read it over multiple times, that passage, and then see if a word or a phrase jumps out at you. 
And then you could take that word and phrase if you want and search on BibleGateway.com, which has all kinds of versions of the Bible in different languages. And you can search that word or that phrase in BibleGateway.com. Or if you have a concordance book, you can also find scriptures that use that word listed there. And then you just look up all of the various places where your word occurs and see what else scripture has to say about that word. Another thing that we can then do when we've thought about that word and phrase and looked it up, we can meditate on that word and ask God to show us, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to my life? God, how do you want to use this in my life? So you can end up constructing your very own Bible lesson using this technique of reading scripture over slowly many times and and searching in a concordance and then meditating on how it applies to our life. So meditate on a scripture passage, and that's one way we can ponder who God is. And then letter B on your outline, spend time in prayer, spend time praying. And I would suggest that you consider start by praising who God is, praising his character and his attributes. And then thank God for the blessings that he has given you, blessings of life and health, family, food, shelter, safety, friends, and resources that you still do have, and a good health care system. You see, focusing on the positive will help lift your spirits and guide your prayer requests. Then the third part of prayer is making those prayer requests. Petitioning God. Petition him and ask him for needs in your family, needs your friends have, and then pray for needs in the church family. On the website, there is a prayer request list, like I mentioned, and you can find who has asked for prayer on the prayer chain, as well as some other suggested prayers. And then also pray for your neighbors. Pray for their needs. Pray for your relationship with them. And then I think it would be great if we would be praying regularly for the wisdom and righteous decisions by our governing officials, locally, statewide, and nationally. Pray for healthcare workers providing treatment. They get sick. Some of them have already contracted the coronavirus. Pray for those who are doing research to find a way to cure the virus and those who are sick, as well as a vaccination that might be ready before the next season of flu and corona might return. Pray for business owners who are struggling to stay afloat and for those people who are not working. And then pray for God to work mightily through the, this crisis to bring people to himself. Now, one last thing in prayer. It's important that we learn how to quietly listen to God. Let him put those impressions in our heart. Let him speak to us, not just only us to him. Let it be a two-way conversation. So when we're looking at pondering on who God is, we look in scripture. We spend time praying. And then the third thing I'd like to say about pondering who God is, is that sometimes, this is letter C, sometimes we can't always know, but we can always trust. If you're waiting for an explanation about why this virus has happened, you may have to wait a long time. Job poured out his heart to God, 
but he never received an explanation. We got that explanation in chapter one. But Job, he just heard God say toward the end of the book, I created this earth and this universe, and I am just going to have to be trusted because I am all powerful and all loving. And there's just some things that will never be explained until we get to heaven. But the circumstances of life do not change the truth about God. One more psalm, Psalm 131. If you would turn there, Psalm 131, the last half of verse 1, says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. So verse 3, hope in the Lord from this time and forevermore. Do you hope in the Lord while others around you are terrified. Do you have that hope and that trust? Are you like a weaned child when you've spent that time quieting your soul in God's presence? So let me ask you, on pondering God, the second point, how have you related to God this week? Look back and think, how have I spent time? How have I spent time? What's that time been like? How would you like to spend your time in the coming days letting God reveal who he is to you? How would you like to do that? Make a plan. Set aside some time each day. Instead of binge watching TV all day long, set aside time to study God's word, to pray, and just let him speak to you. And if you've got some extra time, there's some great resources online. You can listen to some other sermons. One of my all-time favorite preachers is Chuck Swindoll, and you can just put that name in, Chuck Swindoll, S-W-I-N-D-O-L-L, and his Insight for Living, there are still episodes of that online, and he's one of the most encouraging and applicational preachers I can think of. So ponder who God is, reflect on our heart, and then third, we have an opportunity to serve others. Crisis has a way of clarifying values. Crisis reveals what really matters and what really doesn't matter. You discover in a crisis that the greatest things in the world aren't really things. What matters most are people. And right now, people are fragile. And they are more open to God than they were even a few weeks ago. The world is watching how people who are followers of Jesus will handle this crisis. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Ephesians 5, verse 15 says, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Now, evil isn't always a reference to wickedness. Sometimes it can refer to a natural calamity, a disaster, which this certainly is. So be careful how you live and make the most of every opportunity in this time of crisis and evil. So under serving others, the first thing I'd like to suggest, letter A on your outline, look for ways to meet your neighbor's needs. 
instead of hoarding months of supplies, look where you can share with those who don't have. Check on your neighbors. And imagine, sharing a roll of toilet paper could be one of the most memorable things you will ever do. Be proactive and don't wait for someone to ask for help. If you know of an elderly person, offer to go to the grocery store or pharmacy for them and help reduce their risk of exposure to the coronavirus. There was a news story about a 20-something guy in New York City, and he organized an army of over a thousand young adults to go shopping for the elderly and the high risk. And he put this together and arranged it and brought rays of hope in a sea of dark news. Also, if we're going to use the letter B on your outline, is that we also have to push through relational barriers to engage people. That's part of how we serve them. We have to go engage them. How you respond to somebody in crisis will be remembered and highly valued for years to come. Some people have lost hours at work or have been laid off completely. So the church elders and deacons are setting up an emergency community fund where you can get money to help people in recent financial crisis who are outside of our church. Contact a deacon and find out more about how you could donate to that fund or get a small amount of money to help somebody. But you can't help if you don't push through that natural resistance to ask an awkward question like, how can I help you? See, when the early church experienced persecution after the martyrdom of Stephen, God used that crisis and that fear to scatter the church into the uttermost parts of the earth. He had commanded in Acts 1.8 to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, but they were kind of still cloistered together in Jerusalem. Well, the martyrdom of Stephen changed all that when Saul started going after Christians. But God used that in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, Acts 8, 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So now today, we have the chance to practice in the midst of a crisis, the prayer, care, and share that we have talked about in recent months. So go out and get involved with your neighbors and prayer, care, and share with them. Pray about God showing you, who could I minister to? And then when you make that prayer request and God maybe puts a name or a person on your heart, then pray for God to show you how to care for them. Or, like I said earlier, knock on their door and ask them. And then maybe there'll be some spiritual conversations where you can share some spiritual truth, some hope. So they are in a time of darkness. You can bring them hope and you can share. And maybe it will lead to sharing the full good news about Jesus. So the body of Christ is Jesus' extension of himself, his ears to listen, his mouth to encourage, his arms to carry. And we incarnate the person of Jesus to others. To make it through this crisis, the world not only needs the promises of God, it needs the people of God. So let me ask you in this third and last point about that opportunity to serve others. How will you push through relational barriers to meet neighbors' needs? 
I would encourage you, make a plan. Start to think, how can I start this? How can I meet some of the needs? How can I be a person who serves others through this crisis? As I close, I want to read a quote from Henry David Thoreau, the author and poet. He said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with a song still in them. So don't let this experience quench the song God wants to release in your life. People are searching for meaning and hope right now. This could be one of the church's greatest moments in history. How will we be remembered? Will people remember us as being isolated? Of course, if you're sick, that's what you're supposed to do. But even if you're not sick and you're isolating and hoarding, is that the image we want to give to the world? Or could this be our greatest moment of being remembered for how we give and how we sacrifice, how we reached out, how we cared when everybody else was afraid? So let me read one last scriptural exhortation and then we'll pray. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses 16 and 18. Second Corinthians four, 16 and 18 says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you. We come to you with our fears. We come to you with our our struggles, wondering what all of this means, and yet we know you, and we know that you have all things in your hands. Lord God, you can use this calamity, this crisis, to pry open hearts, maybe even our own heart. You can use this crisis, Lord, to reveal who you are to people who are open to hearing it, maybe for the first time. So God, use us Use us to draw close to you so out of that overflow, Lord, we can minister to the people around us. Let us be wise in how we care for ourselves and our family, how we obey and follow government restrictions, but not to be afraid to engage other people, not to be afraid, Lord, to help and even unselfishly share resources that we have and trust you to provide for us and take care of us. So, Lord, we just pray right now that this would be the church's greatest moment in history, the greatest moment in the history of these next generations, that you turned around this generation and snatched them from a deeper descent into darkness. We pray that we can be the light. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we close, I would encourage you now to spend some time looking over those questions of meditation. If you're in a group, discuss those together and maybe have some time of prayer together. You don't have to pray out loud. That's a big fear for a lot of people. But just pray together. And if it's even a silent time where everyone looks at the prayer requests and spends a little time, then don't feel pressured. Let this be a time of knitting us together as a family and as a body. 
And remember, there are more resources on the church website. There are some children's videos that will help your children in worship and give them some good positive input. So keep your eyes on God. And until I see you again, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Amen.